Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And again, thank you for the privilege of coming into your home. You could be doing a lot of other things right now. But twice a day, you will have Sister Bev and I, and then how many other times during the day, Pastor Arose with the healing Jesus, and that has been such a blessing to so many that are in the hospital that's going out, the fit for service, the young people, the children, the preteens, the seniors. We're working very hard to try to make sure that we make this a productive time spiritually. We don't want the love of God's people to grow cold. We don't want you to lose your first love in the middle of this. And part of that is relationship. It's keeping your heart focused on God. Let's open today like we always do with Psalms 91. Please allow me to read to you from the New Living Translation today. So many of you use it, and I'm always reading from the ESV, so let me read from the New Living. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone, not us, he's not one of them, he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. <laughs> I love that one. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night or the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness or the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. Do you love him? <laughs> the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. What incredible promises. Father, we come to you today. <laughs> Lord, we're a people that in one sense we have no right to come before you. But you have told us to come boldly before your throne because of the forgiveness that you have provided in your grace. We are clean without any accusation as we come before you. Father, we, we can lift our heads before you because you have taken the guilt and the shame out of our lives. We come before you and we say thank you. Thank you for all of your goodness. Thank you for all of your mercy. Thank you for salvation, Father. Oh, thank you for salvation. Thank you for this beautiful salvation that you've given us so rich and pure. Thank you for this beautiful salvation that you've given it to us, this new life, Lord. Not just forgiven, but a new life. You picked us up when we were down. You gave us a new hope and a new future. And Father, we come to say thank you. Where would we be without you, Lord? You have been good to us beyond anything we deserve. We, we are grateful 
for your grace. Father, all during this time, you provided. Your hand of provision has been upon our families. I thank you for that. I thank you for your gracious hand of provision. Some families have seen huge abundance. And for some families, Lord, for their sake, like the widow of Zarephath, you've just provided every day so that nobody would notice, so that no one would notice and pay attention to them. You're just giving them little miracles every day. Father, we don't care whether the miracles are great or small. We're just grateful. We are a thankful people for all of your provision within our lives. Father, I ask in Jesus' name for all of the frontliners again today. Lord, they are so exhausted. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, give them strength beyond their years, not just physically, Father, but in their souls. Strength beyond their years and wisdom beyond their years. And Father, so many of them feel so helpless. Give them wisdom, Father, in how to care for people. Even though they're young and even though they're new, give them wisdom. Show them ideas of doing things that have never been done before. You are the God of creativity. And you know the human body better than anybody else does. You created us, Lord, out of dust. Lord, show our Christian doctors new things, new ways, new opportunities. Break this plague off of this world, Lord. Show your goodness to this world, we pray. Oh, Father, we come and we say thank you today. Our hearts are full. Our hearts are full as we look at your provision. Our hearts are full as we look at your protection. Our hearts are full as we look at the beautiful salvation that you've given us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Before we turn our attention to our reading today in the New Testament, I want to remind you that we are still in lockdown, but we do have services. Now, there's a variety of services that we have. First of all, we have what we call Fortress 91. No groups larger than five, all four campuses from 7 a.m. in the morning until 7, until 6 p.m. in the evening. We stop a little earlier, Kaya, there's no curfew problems. We'll have a little short 10-minute service with you and your family. We'll pray together. We'll worship together. We'll serve you communion. We can't lay hands on you. Please remember, you have to wear your mask. You have to go through the foot bath. You've got to do all the contact tracing. So please be patient with us. But we want to be able to do this. So on your way to work, on your way home, stop by for Fortress 91. Also, let's not forget the services this weekend. Drive-in. Now again, we have to be very strict like when we first started drive-in, Okay before we went to a GCQ. Nobody can get out of their cars. There can be very few workers out in the parking lot. So you drive in, it'll be a quick one hour service because you know many of you will have driven a long way to get there after you ate breakfast, so you're gonna need to get out for a CR and I want to be understanding of that, uh, especially for our seniors. So it'll be a one hour service, uh, 7.30, 9.30, Saturday, 7.30, 9.30, Sunday, both at main campus and at south campus. So we'll see you then. Our New Testament passage today picks up in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. Paul said, this is how one should regard us. All right, how to think about pastors. This is how you think about pastors or spiritual leaders. This is how one should regard us. When you're, you're thinking about pastors, this is how you should think about us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. So number one, we are servants of Christ. Number two, we are stewards or managers of the mysteries of God. In other words, we teach. We serve Christ and we teach the things of God. Our, this is our role. We are not stewards of business principles. We are not stewards of medical principles. We are not stewards of academic principles. We are not stewards of marketing principle. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, people kind of laugh at me sometimes because, you know what? I'm not going to teach something if it's not in the Bible. And I'll give you another thing about me. I'm not going to go to a conference and leave all the scriptures out and act like all of this wonderful truth is my wisdom. I'm going to quote the Bible. I'm going to teach the word of God because I am a steward of the mysteries of God. I'm not a steward of the mysteries of Steve Jobs. I'm not a steward of the, the mysteries of academic research. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. So moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, okay? So as a steward of the word of God, as a steward of the beautiful truths of God, the mysteries of God, I have to be trustworthy. So let, let's just use the word exclusive here, okay? I should be found trustworthy. Exclusive and excellent. Those are a couple of nice E words. Exclusive and excellent. When I teach, I should teach with excellence. And when I teach, it should be exclusive. I am a steward of the mysteries of God. He said, but with me, it is a very small thing 
if I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. <laughs> I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, now notice here, Paul says, your words, I'm having trouble with my pen again this morning. Your words are irrelevant. He said, you can sit in judgment on me. You may not like it because I'm bald. He said, you may not like it because I'm not an excellent speaker like Apollos. He said, but I have knowledge. He said, you may, may criticize me all you want, but you know what? It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, now straight talk. Pastors are stewards of the mysteries of God. We are not personalities trying to win a popularity contest. Now, one person walked up to me and said, Pastor Summerall, you are an excellent preacher, but I don't like you. <laughs> and I laughed and I said, well, that's all right. As long as you listen to what I say, you don't have to like me. See, the, the goal of the ministry is not personality contests and not trying to be liked, not trying to be popular. Paul said, you know what? I, I care very little if I'm judged by you. He said, or by any human court. And the church in Corinth had stood in judgment on him, remember? In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself. Paul says, as far as I know, I'm living right. He said, I'm not aware of anything against myself. I don't, I don't know of any sin in my life. But he said, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Just because I don't know of anything wrong in my life, that doesn't mean anything. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. So there is a time of judgment before the Lord comes. Okay, so this would be the rapture. Second coming. Uh, Bema seat. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Remember in the evening services I'm teaching you that at the Bema seat will we be judged for what we do and for the motives that we did it in. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now notice, the Bema seat is not about sin. It is about I'm hitting all the wrong buttons here today. Welcome to live. It is about rewards. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is rewards, okay? I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos, for your benefit. He said, listen, Apollos is my friend. I can talk about Apollos and nobody can say that I'm against him. He said, I'm doing this for your benefit, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another. He said, now, the whole purpose I'm teaching you about this is for your benefit. He said, because you're going beyond what is written. He said, oh, you're sitting around in judgment on preachers. You're preferring preachers over one another. He said, you're, you're, you're lining up preachers as a popularity contest, which is part of their patronage system. He said, and you're getting everybody puffed up against one another. 
He said, this is for your benefit that I'm teaching you this. He said, this isn't about me. This isn't trying to boost myself. I'm, I'm doing this for you. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, he said, hey, there's no place for all this pride and ego in any of us. Already you have all you want. <laughs> Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share some rule with you. <laughs> in other words, uh, they had prospered. Now, brothers and sisters, straight talk. It is amazing how somebody can start with nothing, and then God blesses them and God prospers them. When they had nothing, they loved their pastor. They were respectful to their pastor. They wanted to learn. They were like sponges wanting to learn. But later when they become rich and they become kings, they think, um, they act like they're all that. And this is what had happened to Paul. These people had been nothing. God, Paul said, making many rich. We'll get into that verses later. Paul said, you know, part of the purpose of ministry is to make many rich. He said, you know, there are people that have really prospered. He said, well, this will be all true so that we might share some rule with you. But he said, you know, well, what is this stuff? Why are you so proud and arrogant? He said, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. <laughs> Paul said, you guys think you're all that. <laughs> and this is what you think of us. To the present hour, Paul said, we hunger and thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, and we're homeless. We labor working with our hands. We are reviled. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Now, Paul said, listen, you act like you're all that. He said, I'm your spiritual father. And he said, you know what? I'm glad that you're rich. I, I have no problem. I'm glad that you're rich. But he said, this is my life. This is the life that God has chosen for me. And you know what? He said, scum of the world, the refuse of all these things. He said, I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He said, now listen, guys. He said, why are you looking down your nose at me? Because I'm not as rich as you. <laughs> and that, that's how some people act. If you have more money than they do, they respect you. But see, that's how the world thinks. See, the world thinks is he who puts in the most gold has the most say, has the most rule. And so there are people in church that act like they should be able to say everything because they gave a big offering. It's one of the reasons why I don't look at offerings and tithes. I don't want to know. Because that is the mentality of people. And Paul comes along and says, hey, you're right. I can't compete with how you dress and how prosperous you are. He said, that's, that's not my life. That's not the life God has chosen for me. I'm an apostle. He said, now some of these things, pastors, listen to me now. All of you young pastors. When reviled, we bless. Wow, that's hard. When persecuted, we endure. 
When slandered, we entreat. You don't try to fight back with slander, young pastors. You can take a punch. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. As my beloved children. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Oh my goodness, now. Be imitators of me? Um, weak, disrepute, hunger, thirst, poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless, uh, reviled, persecuted, slandered, uh, scum of the world, refuse of all things. Um, I urge you become imitators of me? <laughs> Please forgive me. Can you imagine the look on their faces? after they had come into a position of wealth and things, he said, be imitators of me. <laughs> See, Paul was not ashamed of his life when he didn't have anything. Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. Paul understood prosperity. He, 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 he's walked in prosperity, but Paul has also walked in nothingness. And it didn't bother him. Paul recognized that what you have does not determine who you are. ha. <laughs> What you have does not determine who you are. Let me say that again. What you have does not determine who you are. He said, now that is why I sent you Timothy. That is why. This reason. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in the church. Wow. Now, only a son... can do this, to remind you of my ways. Timothy knew Paul's ways. Timothy knew what Paul taught everywhere. You know, there are many people that say, oh, Pastor Summerall is my spiritual father. And I look at them and say, no, I'm not. If I was your spiritual father, you would teach what I teach and you would live like I live. Sorry. That's what the Bible would teach us about spiritual sons. A spiritual son teaches like the father teaches and lives like the father lives. Other than that, I, I looked at a young pastor one time. He introduced me as a spiritual father in front of his congregation. And I stood up and I said, uh, no, I'm not. Right in front of the whole congregation. And then proceeded to preach. Now, the guy was very embarrassed. I said, you know, young man, you spent three days with me in your whole life. How am I your spiritual father? Now, I'm not saying that one day I couldn't be your spiritual father. But you know what? You don't just go around and call people spiritual father. Paul said, you've got many mentors. You, you've got many teachers. But you only have a few spiritual fathers. Only a spiritual father and a spiritual son, they, they live alike. They act alike. They teach alike. See, he said, he can remind you of my ways. As I teach them everywhere in the church. He said, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. Wow. Now, this church in Corinth, Paul faced more arrogance from them than any other church. Arrogance and money seem to go together. That's why Paul tells Timothy, tell the rich among you not to be arrogant. When people get a little bit of money, arrogance just comes out of them. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out 
not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Like, what can they really produce? What is their ability? What can they what can they do for the kingdom of God? Sure, they can make some money, but what can they do for the kingdom of God? Can they pray for the sick? Can they cast out devils? Can they lay hands on people to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Can they grow a church? Ah, now we begin to find out the difference between arrogance and ability. Now notice, folks, arrogance versus ability. <laughs> arrogance versus ability is the test. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So arrogance is all about talk. The kingdom of God is all about ability, spiritual ability. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and in a spirit of gentleness? Gentleness, okay. Your decision, how you are treated by spiritual leaders. Now, you may not like that thought, but that's true. Paul says, shall I come to you with a rod? Shall I come to you with discipline? Or shall I come to you with love and a spirit of gentleness? He said, you know what? It's going to be your decision. Your decisions are going to determine whether I come to you with a rod to discipline you or whether I come to you with love and a spirit of gentleness. <laughs> he said, that's your decision, not mine. I, I, can, I can treat you either way but you're going to have to decide how I'm going to come to you. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Yeah. 
Old Testament passage today begins in Job chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Job is now responding to another one of his quote-unquote friends who spoke very well of God but brought great condemnation against him. Now, you're going to understand that's how sometimes people act. What they say about God is beautiful, but what they say about you is ugly. Job says, Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. He said, All right, I've seen, I've heard, I understand. All three of those things are necessary. He said, What you know, I also know. He said, I'm not inferior to you. Okay, he's answering the critics. He's answering the people who sit around and say that this is all because of his sin and his, his hidden sins. He said, but I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies, worthless physicians are all of you. <laughs> now he rebukes his critics. You know, and sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes it just comes where you've had enough of somebody just sitting there in judgment and condemnation on you and just say, you know what? Oh, that you would keep silent and it would be your wisdom. <laughs> in other words, you know what? If you shut up, you'd look a lot smarter. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleading of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Now, those are two very important words. Speak falsely for God. Speak deceitfully for him. Wow. You need to go think about that one today, because there are people who do this. Will you show partiality toward him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? As we get to the end of the book, we see, no, it's not. Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you if in secret you show partiality. Will not his majesty terrify you and the dread of him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes, and your defenses are defenses of clay. Wow. This man was not going to back down. Let me have silence, and I will speak. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Wow, okay, now, uh, he, he going too far. You know, okay, going too far. This is good. This, yeah, that's not a real good thing to say to God. I will argue my ways to his faith because in his sight, there's none righteous, no, not one. But to say, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him, that's good things. But you see, again, his heart between the pain in his body, the grief of the loss of his family, and now all of this, ugh, condemnation from these people who are supposed to be his friends, it's, it's affecting his heart. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before him. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. I know I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. The godless shall not come before him later, he does come before him. 
So you have to always be looking at the center of Job through the lens of the first two chapters and the last two chapters. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer. Or let me speak, and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Now again, notice, he is starting to think he's bad. God said you're blameless in all your ways. But he's starting to begin to think there is something maybe wrong with him. The effect of people's words. Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Chapter 15, verse 1. 14, verse 1. Man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. Okay, that is words of hurt. <laughs> Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? There is not one. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Okay, so our life is set. Now that is the truth. God chose the day for us to born. God chooses the day for us to die. Look away from him and leave him alone, that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. Bitterness talking. For there is hope for a tree. If it be cut down, it will sprout again, and that its shoots will cease, not cease. Though its root go old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put up branches like a young plant. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then you would number my steps. You would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. But the mountains fall and crumbles away and the rock is removed from its place. The waters wear away the stones and the torrents wash away the soil of the earth. So you destroy the hope of man. Bitterness talking. God never destroys the hope of man. God is the God of hope. But see, condemnation, when you put that together with suffering and pain and grief, it, a man's heart says very bad things. You will prevail forever against him. He passes and you change his countenance and send him away. 
His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. He feels only pain in his body, and he mourns only for himself. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered him and said, Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Now, I mean, these guys are going at Job really, really hard. Now, he's been pretty hard on them too, yes. Should he argue with unprofitable talk or in words in which he can do no good? But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. No, he's not. Job has done nothing to destroy the fear of God. Now, he's spoken some bitter words, yes. And he's hindered the meditation before God. No, he's not stopping people reaching out to God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth. Ah. And you choose the tongue of the crafty. Wow. So he's saying, your sin is telling you what to say. But God said, Job is blameless. It was not iniquity teaching his mouth. It was pain. It was grief. It was hurt. And you choose the tongue of the crafty. No, no, he did not. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born? Or were you brought forth before the hills? Have you listened to the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? No, not pride. It's hurt. And what do you know that we do not know? And what do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Are the comforts of God too small for you, or the word that deals gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away? And why do your eyes flash? No, why are you angry? That's literally what that means. That you turn your spirit against God and bring such words from your mouth. Okay, true. This is true. Job has been speaking some pretty harsh things about God. What is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. Not true. God does put trust in his holy ones. Again, these are the words of the devil. Remember the last time he spoke? How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water? I will show you. Hear me. And what I have seen I will declare. Wise men have told without hiding it from their fathers to him to whom alone the land was given and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man rises in pain all his days through all his years that are laid up for the ruthless. All right. Again, condemnation. They saw his suffering as proof of his sin, and it's not. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer will come upon him. They said all of this, all of this was his fault. Now, brothers and sisters, you have to be very careful about this. There's many Christians that have hard times, and they're good people, and they haven't done anything wrong. They're not reaping what they've sowed, but there's just an ugly devil out there. He does not believe that he will return out of the darkness. He is marked for the sword. 
He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Distress and anguish testify him, and they prevail against him like a king ready for battle. Because he stretched out his hand against God and defies the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with a thickly bossed shield. Wow. So they thought Job was against God. Job was not. He was hurt. He was bitter. He was in pain. But Job wasn't defying God. Job wasn't against God. But that's what these people said. Because he has covered his face with fat and gathers fat upon his waist, and has lived in desolate cities and houses that no one should inhabit, which were ready to become heaps of ruins, he will not be rich, and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread across the earth. Okay, so they said, Job, no hope. Job, there is no hope for you. Sounds like David when people said there is no hope for him in God. Let him not trust in emptiness, deceiving himself, for emptiness will become his payment. Again, no hope. It will be paid in full before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe root like a vine and cast off the blossom like an olive tree. For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of bribery. Wow. Godless, bribery, they conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their womb prepares for deceit. Now, brothers and sisters, you can see why at the end of this story, God comes out and says, now, Job, you need to go pray for these guys. <laughs> They'd said some very bad things against Job, and they were going to reap. Because a man is judged by his own word, Jesus said. They were going to reap what they have sowed with all of this condemnation that they poured, an accusation that they poured upon him. Now, before you think this is too strange, remember the inspiration of these guys, the devil. We showed you that a couple of days ago. Now, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, and they inspire all of this accusation. But at the end of the story, yes, God gets after Job about his bad attitudes, okay? But he also makes him pray for these guys that they'll be blessed. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.